All right, so we are continuing our study through the book of Luke. We are in Luke chapter 12. Uh, I think we've only been at this, what now, a year and a half, give or take, somewhere in there. Someday we'll be through Luke, and well, then we'll have to find someplace else to go. But at the moment, we're going through Luke chapter 12, and we're about to look into a particular passage that I think the best thing we can do to understand what's happening in this passage is to kind of enter into the narrative, look into what is going on. Because if we don't pick up what's going on, we may completely miss the point that Jesus is trying to make. So we need to appreciate the situation. Now, Jesus has been speaking to the crowd and his disciples. Remember, he has performed a miracle, the Pharisees have said, oh, he just does miracles by the power of the devil. Uh, Jesus speaks, he goes to the dinner with the guy, and then he ends up looking at his disciples and saying, okay, I want you to pay attention to hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite. And then he goes into some reasons as to why you shouldn't do this. And so he talks about true religion and false religion, And that there is a judgment coming, which is going to reveal everything. God sees it all. You can't hide anything. What you whisper will be declared from the rooftop. And by the way, don't fear men. Fear God. Because men can only kill your body. But you need to fear God who can throw, who can not only kill you in this life, but cast you into hell for eternity. And then he talks about how God provides even for the sparrows. He knows the number of hairs on your head. I mean, if you're going to, if you want to be true, be true to the God who is paying attention to everything that's going on in your life. Don't don't put on some act. You don't need to put on some act. God is genuinely concerned about you. You don't have to fake it. God actually cares about you. God is going to provide for you. So be sincere in your worship of God. Be sincere in who God is. And if you will confess your name before men, God will confess your name before the angels. And by the way, if you don't confess your name, God's name before men, if you don't confess Jesus before men, then God is going to deny you before the angels. Then he talks about forgiveness and how you can have complete forgiveness of every sin, except blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Be careful about doing that. Which, by the way, Just mention, I don't think we can commit that sin today because Jesus is not performing miracles before our very eyes. And so we can't attribute the miracles of Jesus to the devil. I mean, you could try that, but it's obviously not occurring right in front of us, which it was in front of them. That was a sin they could commit. It's a sin we'd have great difficulty committing. So he talks about forgiveness. He talks about eternity. He talks about judgment. Jesus is speaking and referring to some of the most weighty, profound, important issues that could possibly be talked about. And we're literally talking about heaven and hell and eternal condemnation. And in the midst of this, when Jesus stops for a breath, up comes this guy in front of the whole crowd and comes out with this. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Really? Seriously, you pick this moment to say that. 
Here, here we are. There's so many people. Remember that they're literally stepping on top of one another. There's thousands of people here. Here's Jesus. Right in the midst of all of this teaching. And you march up and you're concerned about what? You're not concerned about eternal life. You're not concerned about your eternal destiny. You're not concerned about forgiveness or heaven and hell. You come to Jesus at this moment for this? This is, I think, a little bit like Martha coming to Jesus in the midst of his teaching. Although this is much worse. But still, it's, it's the same kind of thing. Martha shows up, and instead of listening to the teaching, it's like, hey, Jesus, will you tell Mary to, to get to work here? You know, tell her, tell her to get back to work. I, this guy is that on steroids. This is like, wait a minute. Jesus is here speaking about the kingdom of God, about a right relationship with God. You couldn't talk about more important things. Is this guy paying any attention to what Jesus is saying? No. Now, he sought out Jesus. He looked for Jesus. Let me go find Jesus. All right, so you found Jesus, and what? Well, I'm going to push Jesus into some role I want him to fulfill. Jesus is going to become the Savior I want him to be. He's going to do what I want. He's going to meet my needs. He's he's going to fix my problem. Really? Really? You know, this is a guy who just, it's like he rushes in where angels fear to tread, right? He's going to march right up to Jesus. And after all that Jesus has said, all the things that Jesus has been talking about, he's going to walk up there and go, you need to tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Wow. That's what you hunted Jesus down for. That's what you went out of your way to go find Jesus, get in front of this crowd of thousands that are so packed in that they're stepping on one another. You make your way to the front of this crowd so that you can find Jesus to make sure your brother gives you stuff. That's it, huh? That's all you got. So what is Jesus' response? Jesus says to him, man... Who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? you know, this, this word man, you know, I mean, this is, this is not a good way to be referred to. This is, this is kind of like, hey, buddy, you know, I mean, come on, pal. You know, I mean, it's, it's this very, you know, put distance between you. It's like, come on, man, you know, this, this is, Peter says this. When he's accused of being the disciple of Christ, you know, at the trial, someone comes to him and saw him and said to Peter, you're one of them. And Peter says, man, I am not. You know, it's the same kind of, you know, distance. Let's put some distance between me and you. He does it the second time, too. A little later, someone comes up and he says the same thing. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. It's this term that just kind of pushes the person away from you. So Jesus looks at him, he's like, in the common vernacular, I mean, hey, buddy, you know, who made me a judge or an arbitrator between you and your brother? What are you doing coming to me for this? Of all the things to come to Jesus for, this is what he comes for. Now, 
Jesus is not saying that he won't ultimately be the judge. We know he will be. We know that ultimately Jesus will judge the whole world. Jesus will sit on the throne and he will be the final judge. That's, he's not saying that he's not going to do that. What he's talking about is in this world at this moment, the role that he's there to play and the things that he's here to do is not to adjudicate between you and your brother and whether or not you get your fair share of the inheritance. Jesus is about to, and we'll see as we go through the passage, Jesus is very much going to make a judgment about this guy's spiritual condition. But he's not really here to settle some material dispute. Jesus Reason for being in this world is to prove he is the Messiah. He's doing literal miracles and speaking truth. And he's not going to get sidetracked by this guy who just wants his stuff. So Jesus moves from the outward, what we might refer to as the performance level problem. That is, the guy is marching up here and saying, hey, I want my share of the inheritance. This is the outward. This is... this." We look outside and see what this guy is saying. Jesus moves from that immediately to the inward. This guy has a whole bigger problem than just wanting his brother's inheritance. This guy has a heart problem. And Jesus is going to speak to the heart problem. His response to the guy is exactly what you heard. Who made me a judge or an arbitrator? I'm not here to divide the inheritance. And then... He said to them. So now he's going back to his disciples. And he just got done talking to them and totally decimating the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. And now he's going to speak to his disciples again. So he says to them, beware. Be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Jesus immediately turns the focus from material possessions to the kingdom of God. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. This is not what Jesus is bringing to them. They keep looking for some material kingdom. They keep looking for Jesus to somehow overthrow the Romans. And that's not everybody's problem. John the Baptist is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's not talking about brick and mortar talking about change your heart this by the way is why jesus he doesn't he doesn't get into the argument about whether or not you should pay taxes it's look whose image is on that render to caesar what caesar's but render to god what is god's and the image of god is on us jesus immediately goes back to our relationship with god because that's what ultimately matters whether you're rich or whether you're poor is secondary He doesn't get into all of the social ills of the day. Jesus is not out talking about slavery. He's not out here talking about poverty in general. Jesus is not here to fix all the world's ills in society. He's here to fix people's hearts. You get your heart fixed and you get into the right kingdom. And don't worry, the moment will come when all of that will be taken care of. What matters is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of light now. What matters is, do you have eternal life? So the heart issue that could keep you from addressing that, I mean, here we've got a guy. I mean, Jesus is literally right here. If you want to find out about eternal life, if you ever want to find out about kingdom concepts and actually getting into the right place and right with God, 
there's no better person to talk to than Jesus. And this guy is here, and he is talking to Jesus. And what's he talking about? Greed. I want. Give me mine. I, I got to have. Tell my brother to give me my stuff. This is what you're here to talk to Jesus about? And so Jesus says, beware. I want you to, I want you to watch out. This word, you know, keep an eye out. Look, make sure, look at your life and make sure that this has not crept in. Be on your guard, a military term. Pay close attention here. Greed, greed is one of those things that can just kind of sneak into your life. It's a very interesting Greek word. It comes from two Greek words, pleon, which means more, and echo, which is have. So greed is, I got to have more. The question is, well, how much more? Just a little more than I'll ever get, right? That's the problem with greed. No matter how much you get, it's never enough. This word is used multiple times in classical Greek. and in, in the ancient Greek, there's a variety of ancient documents we have. This word is never used in a positive sense. This is always bad. This is a word that you don't want to be assigned to you. And I could preach the whole sermon on this, but I'm not going to. Jesus says every form of greed there's lots of ways greed can creep in. I mean, he mentions material, and that's what the passage talks about, so that's where we're going to go with it. But, you know, there's all kinds of greed. There's all kinds of appetites. There's all kinds of things that we can desire. There's multiple ways to be insatiable and to have this, this desire, this covetousness. I've got to have. And there's material things, but there's plenty of other things that you can be greedy for. But we're going to talk about material things because that's what the passage is. So this is what Jesus is going to, to talk here. Remember, the bigger theme is religious hypocrisy. Greed can come into your life and make you a hypocrite. You can find yourself coming to Jesus for what you can get. That's what this guy came. He came to Jesus for what he could get. Oh, he acknowledged Jesus was a great teacher. He starts out with teacher. That's what he calls him. He acknowledges that Jesus has authority. He acknowledges lots of good stuff about Jesus. But he's only coming to Jesus for what he can get out of it. The problem with greed, the problem with coming to Jesus for this kind of stuff, is that it, it never works. Greed is never satisfied. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Or he who loves abundance with income. I mean, if you're determined to get out there and to have, 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 and you think, well, if I just had enough, I'd be happy, I assure you, you'll never have enough. You either are happy right now with what you've got, or you're going to be dissatisfied. And it doesn't really matter how much more you get. Now, God is not... God doesn't have a problem making people wealthy. There's, there's any number of folks who have, through wisdom and good planning, a good stewardship, have managed to collect considerable wealth. God doesn't have a problem with that. Um, Proverbs 8.21, uh, wisdom speaking personified. Wisdom says this, to endow those who love me, that is wisdom, with wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. Ecclesiastes also says in 
5.19. Furthermore, for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God. God doesn't have a problem with us having wealth. That's, that's not an issue, which is good, given that we all live in America and Look at most of human history, we live better than kings. So, I mean, I'm glad that God is not condemning us all just for having wealth. Um, Second Chronicles, wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you. This is speaking to Solomon. And I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you have possessed, nor those who will come after you. I had no problem making Abraham rich and Isaac rich and Jacob rich and Solomon rich. I mean, that's, that's not a problem, but become a problem. Proverbs warns about this. Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. And like a high wall in his own imaginations. Before destruction, the, man of a heart, the, the heart of a man is haunty. Humility goes before honor. So God, if you turn to God, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. But if you turn to your wealth and say, well, I don't actually trust God. I trust my wealth. Watch out. Watch out. The rich man's wealth is his wall. Um, and then he becomes haunty. And that haunty spirit comes before destruction. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: He who trusts in his riches will fall. Righteous will flourish like the green leaf. Proverbs 28, 6, better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. Proverbs 28, 11, the rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding sees through him. Jesus is trying to help people get an eternal perspective. This guy comes up and all he wants to talk about is his inheritance, wealth. Uh, he, he wants to have Jesus fix his Wealth problem. And Jesus is like, look, your problem is not wealth. Your problem is not that you don't have enough stuff. That's, that's not what your point is. What, what Jesus is, look, let's just say for a moment that the guy is right. His brother has, in fact, ripped him off. And the guy actually does have a right to half of the inheritance. Okay. Okay, so Jesus, let's just say, uh, goes over and talks to the brother and says, hey, come on, you know, you really got to do the right thing. Give this guy half of the inheritance. All right, so the guy does it. All right, now what? Did this solve all the guy's problems? Is his life now fixed? Is everything just great now? Well, there you go. You got half the inheritance. Good for you. This is the point Jesus is trying to make. Like, your problem is not half of your inheritance. Your problem is Greed. Even if Jesus fixed the inheritance problem, this doesn't fix the guy's problem. We have to be certain that we do not allow ourselves to fall into the trap of thinking that, well, if I just have enough stuff, then my life will be good. Even if you get everything it is you think you should get, um, that. That just causes you to be caught up in the cares and affairs of this life. We, we can get so caught up on what's going on. Turn on the news. They want you to get all hyper and excited over all kinds of stuff. They, in fact, they work hard. 
Particularly if you go online, they pay close attention to the sites you go and the things you read and the searches you make. And then they try to get in front of you those things that they know will inflame you and get you riled up. And did you know? And have you heard? And, and uh, you know what? The devil at the moment is the god of this world, and it's going to go crazy. There are going to be wars and rumors of wars, and there are going to be famines and pestilence and earthquakes, and that's how it's going to go. Nations are going to rise against nations. You know what? The end is not yet, and Jesus says, be at peace. He has overcome the world. Our citizenship is ultimately a citizenship in another kingdom to begin with. So it's not that we're not concerned about what goes on in the world. Sure. Just like this guy is concerned about the injustice that's being shown him by not getting his share of the inheritance. Yeah, I sure. Okay, and go somewhere and see what you can do to get your inheritance. But don't think that's somehow going to fix your life. Sure, we have some election. Maybe the person you want gets actually voted into office. That doesn't fix our country. That's not going to fix the world. And maybe you're thinking, well, the guy I wanted didn't get an office. So the place is a disaster. Well, let me tell you, the place has been a disaster for a long time. Well, the place has been a disaster ever since Eve took one bite of that fruit and handed it to Adam. The place has been a disaster ever since. God is still in control. God is still on the throne. Don't allow yourself to get all worked up over, well, it might affect my 401k. It might affect my inheritance. It might affect my future. God is in control of our future. He is the rock we stand on. That is what we trust in. And that's the exact point Jesus is trying to make. He actually says, for not even when one has an abundance, does his life consist of his possessions. I mean, if you've got more than you could possibly want or need, is that, is that a, the measure of who you are? Is that, well, I'm all the things I own. I sure hope not. I hope that's not the measure of who we are. And having more stuff doesn't mean you're more blessed of God or that, or that God is more pleased with you. In uh, years past, I had an opportunity to do a lot of ministry in Jamaica. Not, I mean, we spent one day in Ocho Rios at the end, just before we went home. The rest of it, we actually spent in the interior. And if you've never been to the interior of Jamaica, it's a, it's a little nation down there in the Caribbean with a lot of poverty. And that's where we spent the bulk of our time. Well, there were some folks there who had an opportunity to come to America and to go to work. And there was a group of ladies, and they actually went, we were in New England at the time, and there were a group of Jamaican ladies who went out by us, and they worked at kind of a campground type affair for the summer. And so they were hired. They worked at less than minimum wage since they were immigrant workers. They did it all legally. They agreed to a certain amount per hour. They, a bunch of them showed up. And the first thing that happened after they got off the bus, they flew in, they got off the bus at the location. They were brought into a room and informed that the person who hired them is going to be taking a dollar an hour for every single one of them for the entire summer. 
And if you have a problem with that, get back on the bus and go back to Jamaica right now. Needless to say, it was a, you know, an interesting summer for them. Uh, they weren't necessarily treated all that well. Um, but when it was all done, they, they certainly made more, even at that, they made more than they would have if they'd have just stayed in Jamaica. And then the time came for them to all get, you know, back on the bus and to fly back to Jamaica. And, and the ladies from the organization I'm associated with, they knew all these ladies from Jamaica, and several of them. And so when the time came for them to depart, they, you know, they, they met with them, and they were great sadness, and they knew that they were all going back to Jamaica to just poverty, to a very lower standard of living. And the Jamaican ladies, they said enough that the Jamaican ladies kind of picked up on you know, what, what they were so sad about, and it wasn't just them leaving. And they, they looked at them and said, sisters, let me tell you something. We can't wait to get back to Jamaica. You guys have so much stuff, and you are so distracted by it. You are doing everything in the world around here except worshiping God. We can't wait to get back to Jamaica. We're not going to mess with all this stuff. and We can just worship God. Your life is really not measured by the amount of stuff you have. We tend to think that way. We tend to measure how we're doing based on how much stuff we got. But it's really not a good way to measure our spiritual maturity or our relationship with God. And so Jesus gives this parable. He goes on and, and says, all right, let me, let me illustrate the point here about greed. Let me read this to you. So he gives a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So this parable starts, this illustration starts with a guy who's already wealthy, right? The land of a rich man was very productive. Remember, in the society to whom Jesus is speaking, to have wealth was immediately assumed to be blessed of God. This this was, oh, this is a godly man. This is a rich man. So we already assume that God has poured out blessings on him. Um, What's interesting, of course, is that Jesus has spoken in this regard. You remember the rich young ruler? Remember what Jesus says about the rich young ruler? He says, if you want to really serve me, sell everything you own and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And the rich young ruler is like, ooh, I'm not doing that. And... Jesus says to his disciples, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when the disciples heard this, they were astonished and said, well, then who can be saved? I mean, the rich can't be saved. Who in the world is going to be saved? The only way to be saved is to 
I don't know. The rich have all the goods. They have the ability to, to be generous and to do all the godly works that need to be done. I mean, surely if anyone can love their neighbor like they love themselves, it's the rich. Isn't that how you get to heaven? And of course, Jesus has to help them think this through. And this illustration should help. This guy has just gotten a huge bumper crop. If he's truly godly, he should, in fact, already have in place the habits of giving to the poor. He should be giving a tenth. He should already be generous. I mean, he's a rich guy. So he got this big bumper crop. And what he should be saying to himself is, all right, how do I use this to further the poor? Instead, what does he say? He begins reasoning to himself. You see, what should I do here? Oh, I know what I should do. I should look at all those folks who don't have plots of land like I do, who are not able to, this great season, who knows, the rain was good or, or the sun shone really not, whatever the conditions were. I mean, that's how agriculture is, right? If you're going to go out and put your stuff into the ground, you're pretty much trusting God to provide you with anything. If, you've, if you don't... If you don't get this, this lesson, just go out and plant a garden. Go ahead. Just go plant a garden and see how it goes. You'll see. It's like, oh, Lord, please, you know. Otherwise, yeah, who knows? Even if you're like, all right, I watered it and fertilized it. It grew so great. And I looked at it and thought, all right, tomorrow it's going to be perfect. You walk out tomorrow, raccoons have eaten it. The deer have gotten it. The birds are pecking on it. You're like, it's in the hand of God. This is how this goes. So this guy got this huge bumper crop. Look around at all those folks who didn't have an opportunity to participate in the bounty. Give. Oh, no. No, not this guy. That's, that's not what he, he's not sitting around trying to figure out how to do that. He's reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Well, how about even just selling them? I don't want to be doing that. I mean, you understand, this is the worst time to sell my crops. I mean, everyone has brought in their harvest. Do you know what the price of wheat is now? I mean, it's at rock bottom. No, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build some barns. I'm not going to sell any of this stuff. I'm going to put it over here, and I'm going to keep it there. And the only people who are selling their crops right now are people who are in debt, people who are too poor to have the ability to store it. You know, the, the, the lower rungs of society are the very people who are selling right now at, by the way, rock-bottom prices. I'm not selling now. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And then when there's scarcity, then when there's, there's no more grain out there, and maybe a little while after that, then I'll open my barns and I'll make a killing. Now, and it's not a crime, by the way. That, that can be, you know, it could be good business sense. There's nothing wrong with, if you want to, speculating. You, you can speculate on commodities. Feel free. Um, pretty risky, but you can do it. Uh, this guy, is, that's what he's doing, and that, there's nothing criminal about that. The problem is not that he's doing that. The problem is that he's not doing anything else. This is the moment when he should be thinking about how I can take care. The Old Testament lays out the whole Ten Commandments. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. And that's the last thing this guy's doing. Instead, he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. 
And I will store all my grain and my goods. I got so many goods, I need barns to put them in. I need rental storage sheds to put all my stuff in. Ever had one of those things? When I moved, I I got one of those, you know, because you're moving. You're like, we moved from New Hampshire to California. It's amazing. It really clears the mind to hold something up and go, do I want to take this to California? No. But there are some things you think, okay, this is my household, you know, yeah, you know what? By the time we finally got done in California and we moved here, actually, I went back to New Hampshire to get that stuff. <sighs> why? Why? You're looking at it like, I saved this? You're kidding me. This? Yeah, why don't I just throw that away or do something with it? Been shuffling this stuff around for how long? Um, Be careful about stuff. It's just stuff. This guy, he's got to build barns to hold his stuff, not just his grain. And note, it's I, I, I. That's all the guy can talk about is I. And then I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. The purpose of life is for me to get pleasure. I'm just going to do what works out good for me so that I can be taken care of. Now, there's nothing wrong with a guy getting a bumper crop. God gave him the bumper crop. There's nothing wrong with the guy being wealthy. God provided him with wealth. This, this, the bumper crop clearly came from the hand of God. Nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with the guy storing some of it up to sell later and to continue to maintain his wealth. God has no problem with wealth. If you have a million bucks somewhere and you have invested it wisely and you are generously using that to further the kingdom of God instead of just giving it all away and, and you can set that up as a nice nest egg and, and invest it and give and get, you know, you can give a lot more than a million dollars if you had a million dollars. Give that 20, 30 years, you could give away two or three million dollars and still have the million dollars to give to your children's children which the Bible speaks highly of. That's a wise thing to do. The problem is, when well, we're not going to give a dime to anybody. It's all for me, and that's this guy's problem. This guy's problem is that he's not thinking about anyone else. He's just thinking about himself. All of this wealth that God has clearly given me, this bumper crop is clearly from the hand of God, instead of using it to alleviate the suffering of the poor. And remember, This is a society that God set up. This is the nation of Israel. There is no government program. There is no welfare. There are no checks being mailed out to everybody every month to pay for stuff. The only way the poor are taken care of in the nation of Israel is that family and the wealthy must be generous. The tithe, okay, even the tithe, that went to the priest. That was for the tribe of Levi. That took care of the priesthood. That You gave that, uh, the sacrifices that you give, that supported the priesthood. You were to give above and beyond that generously to the poor. Don't cut the corners of your field. Don't pick your trees down to every last piece of fruit that's on it. You leave some for the poor to gather. You need to be gracious to those who are not doing as well as you're doing. You are to love your neighbor like you love yourself. And that's what this guy is supposed to be doing. That's what this guy is supposed to take the bumper crop and to look at it and go, well, this is from the hand of God. 
So what I better do is I better take care of my fellow man. I better look at the nation of Israel. I mean, we've already got you know, the sacrificial system now. And we've got the taxes that the Romans are extracting out of us. This is making my fellow man even worse off. And I'm doing pretty good. So, you know, I should take this crop and see what I can do to alleviate the suffering of others. He doesn't do that. That, That's not the spirit which he operates in whatsoever. Instead, it's, well, got to look out for me. You know, I got to. Got to take care of myself. You got to, got to watch out for numero uno, you know, because if you don't, no one else is going to. I got to make sure my needs are met. And everybody else, well, they can look out for themselves. Okay, that is the complete opposite of what the Old Testament would teach and would encourage him to do. Jesus goes on and says, So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. You know, oftentimes in our youth, we think, well, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be rich. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be one of those people who really makes good money. Okay. Um, ever stop for just a second and ask yourself, why? 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 What do you want with all that money? Well, people will respect me. People, people will maybe even fear me. Um, I'll be finally treated with the respect I deserve. You know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be admired. People go, oh, is that really what our wealth is all about? God doesn't have a problem with us. Get, by all means, be wise. Get a great education. Get as educated as you can be. And make as much money as you can. God has no problem with that. God wants us to be wise and to be good stewards and to be sure and take care. And, and to be successful. It's okay. There's no problem with all that. The question is, to what end? Are we doing that to bring honor and glory to God? Or like this guy? Oh, I just need to take care of myself. And God is looking at you like, you know, I hate to tell you, but you just have no, no idea how many days you have on this earth. And here this guy is who's got this huge bumper crop. And instead of just even thinking about, okay, What can I do to further the people of God and to obey the commands of God and to love my neighbor like I love myself? And the guy would never have an opportunity to carry any of that out, right? I mean, the the passage says, this night will your soul be required of you. But you know, all that you had spent that night sitting around thinking about how you could use the wealth that God has given you to help the poor within the nation. Now, he spends the night thinking about how he could take care of himself. And... So Jesus says, this is, this is your problem. You're only looking to use your wealth to take care of you. So this is what Jesus is trying to help us. Look, eternity is what matters. Think about eternity. The wealth that you have, all the possessions that you have, anything that God has given any of us is just ours temporarily. We are stewards of it. And God is not asking us to, the rich young ruler had to, God, Jesus said to him, sell everything you own and give it to the poor. That's because that would, this guy needed to hear that to actually be confronted. He comes to Jesus and says, oh, I want to follow you. Oh, well, okay, if you're going to really follow me, you're going to have to sell everything you want and give it to the poor. Otherwise, you're not really going to follow me. You're just going to have your wealth plus me. And Jesus is like, that's not, that's not tolerable. 
But lots of wealthy people follow Jesus with their whole heart. So God is not asking us to give away all our wealth. He is asking us to think about what are we doing with it. And that's what this passage, Jesus is like, be careful about greediness. Be careful about, I don't know, I got to have this big pile of stuff. Okay, then what? I got to have my bank account and it's got to have this number of zeros in it. Does it? Yeah. Okay. If you think that that's going to make you happy, just remember that once you have the, what you think is the right number of zeros, you probably won't be happy. You'll think, well, if I could just add another zero to that. Because that's how it is. That's how greed is. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what this guy's problem is. All I want out of life is just a little bit more than I'll ever get. Don't be that person. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Lay your treasure up in heaven. Send treasures on. Support the work of God and the people of God. Find the causes of God. You don't think of yourself into poverty, but make sure that you're generous, that you're giving. And that when you stand before God, you can look at him and say, I tried to be a good steward of the things you gave me. I tried to use them to further your kingdom. That's what Jesus is talking about here and helping people recognize eternity beckons faster than you can imagine it's coming. Don't think one of these days. Today. Today's the day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you work our hearts. You don't simply want outward. You don't simply want us to do something that looks good. You want us to actually be transformed. Thank you that you speak to our heart condition and you give us the strength and the power to be transformed down into the heart. Thank you for that, Lord. It's painful. It's difficult for us to owe up to that and to recognize we need that, but we thank you that that's what you're aiming for. May we die to ourselves daily. May we seek to serve you all our heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.